Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Italian Wine Podcast, as Wine to Wine 2020 media partner, is proud to present a series of sessions chosen to highlight key themes and ideas and recorded during the two-day event held on November 23rd and 24th, 2020. Wine to Wine 2020 represented the first ever fully digital edition of the Business to Business Forum. Visit winetowine.net and make sure to attend future editions of Wine to Wine Business Forum. Before we begin our segment today, we want to remind our listeners that our podcast is always open to receiving donations to help keep our creative project going. To make a contribution to the Italian Wine Podcast, please visit italianwinepodcast.com or check out our social media channels. Now on to our segment. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. This is an English translation of the Professor Attilio Scienza session during Wine to Wine Business Forum. This is Margherita and I'll be playing Stevie Kim. This is Joy and I'll be playing Alessio Planeta. Hi, this is Rebecca Lawrence and I'll be playing the role of Attilio Scienza once again. We discovered ancient vines the day we realized that our viticulture was about to succumb to the conquest of the fame and imagery of international vines that were beginning to eclipse other varieties. We see this in language as well, when words and phrases of one language are adopted by another language, slowly displacing the original one. Connotations change. Nowadays, for example, we speak Italian with lots of words adopted from English. Similarly, International vines that were essentially French arrived in Italy and changed the sensory profile of many, many wines. Of course, this irked some producers that didn't appreciate these incursions, and hence the return to autochthonous vines. This re-examination, selection, special vinification, and even way of communicating and talking about native vines represented a re-evaluation of an ancient patrimony, in large part prompted by the arrival on the scene of international vines. Of course, you're well aware of these international varieties, and I only listed a few that have an outsized influence, or should I say those that promise us so much. Some may disagree with the classification of Tramina as an international variety, but let's remember that the name Tramina really has nothing to do with Termeno or Tramin, this town in Alto Adige. The oldest information we have regarding Tramina comes from medieval Germany, and we're confident the variety arrived from Germany. So it's considered international just like Chardonnay, Merlot, Cabernet, Syrah, Pinot Noir, and so on. Now we've discovered that many of these varieties, such as Pinot Nero and Syrah, have very close relationships to Italian varieties considered autochthonous. Just think of the links between Syrah and Taroldigo, between Syrah and other varieties, even vines from the Campania region. And here I've gathered some representative information to help impress how many of these vines arrived in Italy as a way of emulating French culture. Already in the 16th century, Gelso Verini wrote of French claretto, of French grapes, and of French systems for training vines. So France was already an important element. Just think of the role France played in Tuscany in terms of economic connections, not to mention links among the nobility. Tuscany had fully adopted the French model. 
Meanwhile, in Friuli, Ludovico Bertoli compared the region to Burgundy and pined for the cultivation of Pinot Nero, saying, enough of these old Friulian varieties that produce so many grapes but low quality product, let's go back to quality vines. And here, Pinot Nero was his model. And who could forget Bertoni di Sambui, who in 1920 was the first, the first, to cultivate Cabernet Sauvignon in Italy. He represents a documented case of commercial wines made from Cabernet Sauvignon, sometimes pure, sometimes blended, but certainly using Cabernet Sauvignon. Of course, Guillaume's analysis of French viticulture in 1868 was basically a revolution distilled into a single sentiment, a snapshot of French viticulture just a few years before the destruction wrought by Phylloxera. Guillaume said, the genius of a wine is in the vine. So it is not just the terroir, the territory that makes the difference, but the great variety itself, the vine. And this, I would say, overturns the whole cultural and productive approach of European viticulture. And some personalities of the period are really some of the first ampelographers. We're talking about the post-enlightenment period now, and following this newfound rationality, we start to compare vine collections and grape varieties. The Marquis Ludovico Incisa from Rochetta Tanaro starts a great collection, and he evaluates the performance of Cabernet, Pinot, and Gamay, recommending them to local winemakers. Not so much to be used on their own, but as quality correctors. For example, Pinot is used to correct excess acidity in Barbera or Gamay and to give softness to Nebbiolo and so on. Around the same time, in Sicily, Baron Antonio Mendola cares for a collection of vines in Favara. This was perhaps the largest collection in Italy at the time, with an extraordinary library of specimens. It is also the only one left, the only one that has not been destroyed by human activities. All the other collections have disappeared. Those in Piedmont, those of Incisa and Cervia, that were located in Rocchetta Tanaro and Mantua, respectively. In other words, Mendola's Favara collection is the only remaining library representing the information exchanged by European ampelographers throughout the 19th century. In 1883, Edmondo Mach, the first director of the Agricultural Institute of San Michele, at the time not part of Italy, but of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, was the first to assess the role of these international varieties in the territory. His work brought about improvements in South Tyrol's viticulture prior to the great changes that were in store due to the arrival of phylloxera. So Mack anticipates the reconstruction of viticulture with the introduction of international varieties in Tyrol. This gives us an idea of how important the 19th century collections were and what role they played in Europe in terms of the sharing of genetic material. These collections were not only places where all the genetic material from neighboring areas were collected, but also places of exchanges. For the time being, there were no major issues with phylloxera or other diseases and significant exchanges happened freely. Thus, a large distribution of varieties was born of these collections and entered mainstream viticulture. I have to say that such collections were the driving force behind the diffusion of grape varieties. Here we also start to see comparisons between the characteristics of native grapes and international varieties. This was also the first open-air laboratory with state-of-the-art information and techniques that would then spread with enormous speed during post-Philoxera reconstruction. During this time, modern agriculture was really born. It was practically rebuilt using many of these varieties that remained hidden in the collections, so to speak. 
In this sense, collections became the driving force behind major improvements in enological quality. Along with new varieties came cultivation and vineyard planting techniques that were developed in their places of origin. Therefore, it was an extraordinary opportunity to move away from Italian productive provincialism that saw wine as a product for the masses, with only foreign wines placed on a pedestal and reserved for a select few. I should say that the diffusion of international grape varieties also received a spark from the bourgeoisie. It was the bourgeoisie that demanded something new and powered the great innovative engine. Before, the quality of wine and its place in the hierarchy of styles was determined by the nobility and by landowners. While the bourgeoisie did not necessarily agree with such interpretations, and they decided which wine satisfied their tastes. And it follows that wine came to be viewed not just as a food or as a supplement to the diet, but something to be consumed outside of lunches, on special occasions, social events, celebrations, etc. Another factor that favoured the introduction of these international grapes was the physical separation between the world of grape production and the world of processing. As long as the grapes were processed by the winemaker, the process of grape cultivation and vinification were practically part of the same chain. But here, the winemaker used the old varieties handed down from his grandparents, parents, and so on. When the two steps became separated, when enology became a modern science following Pasteur and the knowledge of the phenomenon of fermentation, the phenomena of the transformation of sugar into alcohol, at this point, the winemaker no longer needed the traditional grapes produced in the traditional way without even knowing their names. Instead, new varieties could be used to make new styles to appeal to a much wider market, an international market. I'll try to hurry because we're running out of time. So we wonder if international grapes can satisfy international tastes. But what are international tastes? Let's say they're tastes that are widely shared the world over. German, American or Australian consumers, for example, consider these models as reference points. Perhaps the French model has traditionally been considered international by the market in terms of its grapes. So is typicity limited to where the grapes are indigenous, or can it also be achieved in international terroir? Over the years, much effort was put into characterizing vines with the type of land where they were cultivated. Think Sicily, Lazio, or Trentino regions, for example. The lightness of a wine's body is an international trend linked to health because of an incorrect assumption that there are less calories in lighter wines. Wine has to go beyond stereotypes, it has to be unique. Naturality is linked to wines resulting from a more respective viticulture, also in terms of plant diseases and feeding needs. Internationality is the capacity of a wine to be acknowledged from an international perspective. Wine Spectator, for instance, can be considered the champions of awareness for international grape varieties like Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot. Aspects that need to be taken into consideration are residual sugar, colour, longevity and the alcohol content of the wines, their vinification in barriques and the concentration. International varieties can be found in countries like Chile, California and regions like Tuscany, where the Super Tuscans are produced. Mostly these wines are the product of, well, known enologists with higher than average prices. The first winemaker to understand the correct use of international grapes was Robert Mondavi. He believed that Cabernet Sauvignon, or the Chardonnays, grown in Napa Valley, must follow winemaking techniques that make them comparable to French wines. He busted the myth of French terroir distinguishing himself from Guillaume, who believed that the style of the wine is reliant on the grape itself. 
He enforced the importance of making a high quality wine with a combination of specific grapes, viticulture and winemaking practices. After the scandal involving producers of Brunello di Montalcino, under suspicion of wine fraud in the 80s, the key players of the Italian wine renaissance managed to popularize Italian wine on a global scale, just to mention a few, Sassicaia, Tignanello, with the style deriving from the usage of the barriques and oxio-reductive principles. In Italy, the wineries that were working with international grapes, including Castel San Michele in the 60s, San Leonardo, Ferrari, forebearer of the traditional method in Italy in 1902. In Italy, the international grapes play well at home, so to speak, distinguishing themselves with a truly unique typicity, conveying a brand in and of itself, with an image and association to a terroir and a region, Bulgari, Trentino, Sicilia. If we consider these in association with a premium brand, Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot here gain dignity. Striking the proper balance between a brand and a terroir is the foundation for success, and moreover, the link between wine and culture is essential to the market. A brand can be described as the intangible expression of a wine, the synthesis of a terroir and the conditions of the territory. Thank you for the attention. I'm available for Q&A. I have two questions. The first one is with respect to the impact of denominations on the spread of the international varieties. Are there limits on the use of international grapes allowing only specific grapes? The second question is related to the selection of international varieties to enhance the performance of indigenous grapes. The results are positive, are they not? Can they be further improved still? The denominations are quite rigid in terms of grape varieties. However, geographical indications offer much more opportunities in terms of exploration of new varieties. This can be an instructive step for the revision of a DO. GIs can be used as a Trojan horse. With respect to the second question, the international varieties have very high potential. The indigenous grapes, indeed, show their results after long-term investments. Among the Italian indigenous grapes, is there any one of these varieties which might become an international grape? We have never managed to spread indigenous grapes outside of Italy. Nebbiolo, Sangiovese have never given significant results. Before Prohibition, the Italian immigrants brought indigenous grapes to the USA. However, they are tied to their specific territories of origin, an expression of a non-exportable culture, one could say. Thank you. Thank you. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, cin cin.